So, does ESG work? This episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by Wingspan. Yep, my favorite game so far in the year 2019, a competitive bird collection engine-building game for one to five players. You may have just seen it written up in the New York Times, where the designer Elizabeth Hargraves was recently featured just this week. You heard it here, though, on this podcast first. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Was that a paid ad? You can be sure it wasn't. I mean, I would love it if Jamie Stegmeyer, who's been on this podcast before, and who's the proprietor behind Stonemeyer Games, who published Elizabeth Hargrave's wonderful wingspan uh, that I've played extensively already throughout the year 2019, taught it to a lot of friends and fools as well. I would love it if Jamie and Elizabeth wanted to pay me for that ad, but as it turns out, we didn't have an ad sponsor this week, so it was my pleasure to throw out this freebie to something that I love and support. Great article, I'm told, about Elizabeth in the New York Times. I haven't read it yet myself. I certainly will be. Uh, but if you want to learn more about Wingspan, yeah, just Google Wingspan New York Times. I bet you'll see it. Now, I have to say, even though that wasn't an ad, that ad was ill-placed, and for this reason, because it's hard to find copies of Wingspan right now. When I go to Amazon, I see there aren't many copies, and the price is way jacked up. When I go to CoolStuffInc.com, my second favorite place to order games, I see it's back-ordered there. I go to the publisher's website, StoneMeyerGames.com. I can click a button there, but it's the back-in-stock reminder April and May 2019. So, bad decision to advertise on this podcast because it doesn't seem like anybody can get this game for the next couple of months, except my good friend Rick Engdahl, producer of the show. Rick, what did I see arrive at Full HQ today? Well, that, that very copy that you were holding up on the YouTube video, that's, that's my copy. It just came in the mail today. That is awesome. Now, Rick, when did you order that copy? When did you mention it on your podcast first? Because I was sitting here behind the glass with my phone ordering it as you spoke about it. That's pretty great. Um, I'm going to say, was it six to eight weeks ago, maybe? Something like that? Something like that. So, maybe six to eight weeks is probably about the right amount of time for people to be thinking about this week if they're interested in Wingspan. And I think the New York Times article probably didn't help. Or did help, depending on your point of view. (laughs) Worth the wait. All right. Well, I think you know what the show's about. The open was really short. And I hope to the point. Does ESG work? My friend Patrick O'Shaughnessy was asking that question on Twitter over the course of the last week or two, just finding out whether people thought that this form of investing, which I'm about to lay out for you, whether it's the right way to go. Uh, Patrick likes to sponsor debates between people, which I think is wonderful. I'm not planning on weighing in on that debate unless he wants to invite me, but I figure since I have a podcast, I can speak directly to you about it. So, let's first break down our term ESG. Uh, This is kind of a buzzword right now, but it's an acronym for Environmental, Social, and Governance. Factors that you would consider if you are investing as an ESG investor. So, rather than just look at the financial factors, the financial returns that you're hoping for, You're also, if you're an ESG-focused investor, you care about the environmental factors behind that company you're thinking of buying stock in, the social factors, the governance uh, displayed or exhibited by that company. Those are all factors 
that some people think are important, and so they, well, they have a website like Morgan Stanley's, and Morgan Stanley has a website dedicated to ESG, ESG 101. What is ESG investing? Walk along the path with us through the world of environmental, social, and governance investing. Morgan Stanley invites you to do. Last week on the podcast, I one of my tips, tricks, and life hacks was. Well, right up top of the show, it was to tell the story of Dave Barry teaching technical writing and saying, lead with your interesting conclusion, so let me be consistent with that. Here's my answer. Does ESG work? Of course. I think I could even go back to the very first issue, the very first edition of the Motley Fool Investment Guide, which my brother Tom and I wrote in 1995. It got published, since it takes months to actually get books from a finished manuscript to the shelves, got published at the start of 1996. And right in that book, I think I penned a section talking about socially responsible investing. And the angle that I had back then is consistent with what I'm going to share with you today. And that is that if you really want to be socially responsible with your investing, if that matters to you, if ESG and F, the financial part of it too, if those factors matter to you, then I think that the most socially responsible thing that you and I can do with our investing is to put our money where our money is. Put your money where your money is. You could also put it where your mouth is, if you like, with the rest of the world. But I'm talking about putting your money where your money is. And what does that mean? It means that I believe that your investment dollars I sure hope you've saved some. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have, and you're thinking about how best to invest those dollars. I hope that you'll take those dollars and have your investor dollars follow your consumer dollars. Peter Lynch made this concept famous. It's the buy what you know mentality. And we've always loved that from Lynch, and we've always used that ourselves. And frankly, in our case, we didn't need Lynch to teach us that because our dad did that for us, and his dad before him, all investors in our family. We've always believed in investing in the things that you use. What was the biggest stock that our family had growing up? As a little kid, what was the Netflix or Amazon of my time, of that era? Well, at least for our family, it was the Washington Post Company. I grew up in Washington, D.C. I'm born and raised right here in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and that was our local newspaper. It was also a brilliantly run company, and Warren Buffett was on the board of directors. The Graham family was behind the Washington Post. You may have seen the Katherine Graham movie. It's obviously a famous company. It was really famous back then. Now, of course, the world has changed some since Jeff Bezos now owns the Washington Post. But that was the stock that we were raised on as kids. That was our biggest holding. It was our best performer. It was our local newspaper. And so, by reading the paper every day and going right to the sports section and checking stocks, as I did as a teenager, back then you needed a newspaper to check your stocks. And that's really dating me right now. And of course, all the stocks were in fractions, not decimals. Uh, That was my experience of the Washington Post as a kid. And so, unbeknownst to me, I wasn't really thinking about it back then, but I was, thanks to my dad, I was putting my money where my money was. And I guess it reminds me of one of, I hope, what will end up being a notable quotable for me. I've certainly said it before on the show. I'll be saying it again in future. Uh, in this case, I'm reading it off somebody else's Twitter page. I want to thank, as long as I'm giving out free ads this, this week, I want to thank at Simon Spear on Twitter, because Simon has this quote pinned up as his pinned tweet. And this is from still July of 2018. So, Simon, thanks for keeping this 
pinned to your Twitter page since last July. I hope I'm worthy, maybe at least till this July. But he's quoting me saying this, make your portfolio reflect your best vision for our future. Always be thinking ahead. Be optimistic. Think about the world that you want to create because, sure enough, your dollars and mine, our capital, is helping shape the world. End quote. I do see something else on this Twitter page, and that is a link to a beautiful website. So here's some free pub from my man at Simon Spear, viewfromtheblue.me.uk. Take a look at that gorgeous website, and you'll see that View from the Blue Productions is an independent natural history production company specializing in underwater filming. If you want to see a gorgeous website, viewfromtheblue.me.uk, you'll see that their client list includes the BBC, they've won 30 international awards, etc. That sounds like a company I'd like to invest in. That sounds like a company, to me, that is making our world better. So, again, the most socially responsible thing that I think you and I can do with our investing is to put our money where our money is. Now, slightly less financially responsible is just to invest your money in a fund. And certainly, a lot of us do that. It's not financially irresponsible at all. Not a lot of us want to buy stocks directly, perhaps, or we like to find a good fund where we could put our money, not think too much about it, not have to be experts at this, and think that our money's being well invested by somebody. So, I think it's a perfectly good answer much of the time. Although, if you really are diligent about your degree of social responsibility, then I would encourage you to make sure you know darn well what's in that fund. Because if you really care about where your dollars are invested and you're not going to invest directly in stocks, then I think you owe it to yourself, and not just to you, but to me and to all of us, to make sure that your money is well invested. Is, as I say, making your portfolio reflect your best vision for our future. So, I think the most socially responsible thing you and I can do is invest directly in stock in the companies that we love, that we think are shaping the world for the better. And one step down from that is just kind of giving it off to a fund and doing the ESG investing thing without investing directly. As long as we're going down a ladder briefly, we're going to get back up. I hope reach the stars by the end, but we're going to go a little deeper here. So, what is less financially responsible than that? And I submit to you, less financially responsible than that is not to invest at all. In fact, if I'm recalling my biblical parable of burying your talents, my recollection is that the servant who just took from his master the talent and buried it was treated worst of all. He was the one guy who didn't do anything with his talent. I love the word talent because, of course, it's a pun in English anyway, because you can think, are you using your talents, your natural aptitudes or skills in addition to your money? But it's it's a great parable. It's probably one of my favorite parables because the one guy who doesn't do anything with it, they say, even that now will be taken away from you. You need to do better with your investing somewhere back there in Matthew or Luke. It's a great lesson. So, I think one step of the ladder down is just not to invest at all. That's more financially irresponsible. And then the bottom rung, I feel like I want to speak to very briefly, and that's not even to save. Less than that, the worst position to be in of all is not even to save, not to be able to support yourself, let alone a family. And I need to speak to that in two ways very briefly. One is when it's understandable that you can't. Many people around the world are simply unable to save. And there are a thousand reasons why. And to those people, 
we all are working our hardest to help them be able to save. But there's a second group of people who could save, but who are not. And I also want to speak to that group of people. Sometimes I see statistics, I don't know if they're real or not, or just fake news, that millennials aren't as interested in saving, or saving isn't as meaningful to the next generation. And while I think part of that may just be the folly of youth, and as we all grow up, we start realizing the importance of it, and I trust that will happen for the generation, but it's somewhat ironic to me, I think I've said this once or twice before on Rule Breaker Investing, it's somewhat ironic to me that a generation so concerned with sustainability, if you think about environmental sustainability, um, I think your own personal financial sustainability is just as important. And in fact, if you don't become financially sustainable, by definition, you're going to rely on others to help you get by through life. And again, there are many people who, for whom that is a reality, and I hope we have a safety net in place for them and that we're all doing our best charitably to support them. I'm certainly trying to do my part. I hope you are too. But for people who could save and are not, that, I think, is the most financially irresponsible place to be. But now let's get back up to the top of the ladder. I'm just going to re-ask it again. Does ESG work? And I'm going to say again, of course it does. Now, your E may not be my E. Your view of the environment, or what's important, probably isn't mine. You may care more about the oceans or less about the oceans than I do. Each of us is seeing different things out there. Your S, your social view, social factors, is almost certainly different from mine. There's a huge conjuries of different S's. Conjuries, that's one of my SAT words. I think it means a great big pile. It's just a really fancy way of saying a great big pile. A conjuries of different S's, social factors out there. Some of us will value some of them more than others. So, I know we're different with our E. I know we're different with our S. We may not be that different with our G, governance. What we look for in governance is probably more standardized and more consistent from one of us to the next. Uh, certainly, in the United States of America, we kind of count on being able to believe the financial statements that are being audited by firms and reported on a quarterly basis, which is a nice reporting rhythm that I like. I know some other areas in the world favor only doing it twice a year. I think that would be a real loss of information. That would be like if you're a sports fan, you're only getting to see the result of every other game and trying to decide who's the best team. So I really like our quarterly approach to governance. But of course, governance includes things like how many men or women do you have on the board or in leadership. Uh, there are many other factors. Some of those are social. Some of those are governance. Each of us sees these things differently, which is why I've said, and I said it earlier, I think the most financially responsible, socially responsible way to invest is to invest directly in the things that you know you support. So, yeah, does ESG work? Well, let me share with you some of the ways that ESG has worked for me. Uh, my best stock picks are all companies that I think make the world better. And I realize I mention these names from time to time because it takes a while to unseat these picks. So, once something outperforms Netflix, I'll start talking about that as my best investment. But as of now, for Motley Fool Stock Advisor members who bought with us in December of 2004 and are still holding today, Netflix is up 19,469%, which means it's up 195 times in value. That's a company that is a wonderful company, adding so much happiness and intelligence into the world. That passes my ESG screen. Now, if for some reason it doesn't pass yours, I'd be the first to say don't invest in it. But yeah, Netflix up 195 times, or Amazon up 106 times. Booking, that's the former Priceline, is up 80 times in value. Marvel, 
which I first picked as a big comic book fan as the Spider-Man movies came out, is up 61 times in value. All of those are from kind of 2002, 3, and 4, all still actively held. Which, by the way, if you're talking about another ESG consideration around your investing, I would ask, how often do you trade or not? At least for me, it feels better to passively hold for long periods of time. I think that's not only more capital F foolish and will give you better performance, but it also is it's just a simpler world. We don't need uh, to trade in and out to do really well as investors. And while I'm conscious that all of those picks are now years old, and you might think, well, I wasn't around. There was no podcast rule breaker investing back in 2004 that I could have bought Netflix. Well, how about some more recent picks? Now, the gains aren't as spectacular because we haven't held them as long, but Match Group, which I started talking about on this podcast a few years ago, recommended to Motley Fool Stock Advisor in 2016. It's up 269%. That's a great company, adding a lot of value to our world. Or how about Vail Resorts? Talk about the environment, just the gorgeous ski resorts that Vail owns around the world. It's not just a U.S. domestic company. The ticker symbol MTN, we recommended that in 2013. It's up 253%. Or how about from a totally different direction, the ticker symbol IDXX? IDX Labs recommended in June of 2014, and Stock Advisor up 219%. They're basically helping the animals of the world out with vaccinations and parasite screening and all kinds of tests done by veterinarians to help fluffy your cat or spike your dog lead a better life. So, every one of the companies I just listed for you passes my personal ESG screen. It may or may not pass yours, but my point is, does ESG investing work? Of course it does. And one other thought this week. It's a shorter podcast this week. By the way, next week we're going to be playing the Market Cap Game Show. It's that time in the quarter, the end of the quarter. I'm really looking forward. I think I'm going to have Emily Flippin come back since she set the all time record on our Market Cap Game Show last time. So we'll see if Emily's around. But back to my final thought for this week. Not only that. Not only does ESG investing, the way I'm describing it, the way you and I can practice every day, week, month of our lives, not only does that work, but here's something else that works tightly connected. ESG businesses work too. Warren Buffett famously said, and it's our biggest quote blown up here on the walls at Full HQ I'm a better investor because I'm a businessman and a better businessman because I'm an investor. I've always loved that line, probably because my brother Tom and I started this business. And as I've sometimes said to investors in the past, maybe the best investment lesson I've ever had was just to start a business myself to try to do some good in this world. Which, by the way, reminds me of one of my favorite quotes that I think I'll close this podcast with this week. But to do some good in this world, it was the act of starting a business that really awakened me and opened my eyes to thinking, which other businesses do I want to trust my money with? And you know what? Early on, I decided we're trying to do some good in this world here at The Motley Fool, and I'm going to invest in companies that I think are doing good in this world. And I've been doing that ever since for more than 25 years. So when I say ESG businesses, I think a lot of you will recognize the phrase, and I use it a lot on the show, conscious capitalism. I am on the board of conscious capitalism. I am a conscious capitalist. And I love the ethos, and I love the people that are all connected in with the movement. So, of course, ESG investing works, just like, of course, conscious capitalism works. Now, the quick short course, 
the four things we're looking for in any consciously capitalistic business. The very first one, you can generally find it on their website if they thought about it. What is the purpose of that business, of your business, my business, or the one we're going to invest in? What is the mission statement or purpose of that business? Second, is that business, is your business in mind, are we trying to create a win for all of our stakeholders, not just for one group of stakeholders, not just for the shareholders, or not just for the customers? We should be treating our employees well, too. We want to be creating a win for the people that are making our businesses happen every day. So, we're going to try to create wins for our customers, our employees, our partners and suppliers. We sure better be winning for them. How about the environment? Well, for some businesses, that's really very relevant. Or communities. For other businesses, neighborhoods, that's really relevant. Here's another great stakeholder to create a win for. Shareholders. It's not just for shareholders, but shareholders sure do count. And I've written about that before, but it's the businesses that are creating wins for all of these that, by the way, often have the best stocks, the kinds of returns that I was sharing with you earlier when you just find these businesses early and hold them for long periods of time. So that was number two. Number one, purpose. Number two, stakeholder orientation. And then three and four are just conscious leadership, which I think is kind of synonymous with servant leadership, a phrase I know many of you have come across, and I bet. You live that life. I sure aspire to do that myself. And then finally, fourth, conscious culture, the culture of the work environment that you're creating every day with your employees and for your employees. So, purpose, stakeholder orientation, conscious leadership, conscious culture, that's what an ESG business looks like. And again, if you go back to that Great Buffett line, we're going to be better investors when we're businessmen and better businessmen because we're investors. Now, this is not a show just for entrepreneurs, and I'm not just here to talk to people who have started a business. I believe every one of us is a leader if we're in a workplace doing important work. You don't have to be an entrepreneur to understand the importance of ESG investing and conscious capitalism and doing business right. Every one of us can do it in every aspect of our lives. And you know, when I'm talking about conscious capitalism like this here at the close, I'm also thinking about conscious consumerism. I hope you enjoyed Paul Rice on the podcast a few months ago, and he was talking about the coming wave, and I think it's already started, of people who are specifically buying this product from this business, not that one from that business, because this product from this business is something that they admire and want to support. And something great that we can say about a lot of millennials, and I think Paul said that on this show, is that a lot of them care more than maybe you or I did. I'm 52, so if you're my age or older, maybe your kids or our kids care more about who they're buying from and what they're buying than you and I did back when we were their age, which I think is a tremendous asset and feature of this new generation. I hope it'll always remain true. Paul Rice predicts not only will it remain true, it will become a necessity, an increasing necessity. If you want to succeed as a business, what I'm describing, using some new terms for some of you. The phrase conscious capitalism may sound hunky-dory, funky, hippie, crazy, I'm not really sure. Some of you may already get it. But I believe what I just laid out for you in the last few minutes is going to become de rigueur. It's going to be table stakes over the next generation. Businesses that don't adopt these principles, don't act this way, will be put out of business by competitors who are acting this way. And I predict that happens in virtually every industry on the planet. And so, those of you who are tuning into this podcast, and thanks a lot, in the year 2039, I hope I have at least one listener who came back and heard this, I predict 
that what I've just said, you're kind of shrugging your shoulders going, yeah, I mean, that's the way it is everywhere around the world today. That's the only thing that would have survived over the last 20 years. Excellent business because it's a competitive world out there. So, does ESG investing work? You betcha. Does doing business by those very principles, does conscious capitalism work? You betcha. All right. Well, I have my favorite quote to read for you this week at the end of the show. But just before I get there, I want to point out that probably the world's largest asset manager, in a much publicized letter about a year ago, Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, wrote a letter to all the CEOs, all the corporate leaders in America, and said some of the following things. These might sound familiar to listeners of this podcast or fans of conscious capitalism, but this comes from somebody who's overseeing the investment of $6 trillion or so dollars every year. Let me quote a little bit from Fink's letter. He said, quote, "...purpose is not the sole pursuit of profits, but the animating force for achieving them." End quote. That's a great quote. We agree. Here's another great quote. Profits are in no way inconsistent with purpose. In fact, profits and purpose are inextricably linked. End quote. That's also a great quote. And third and the final one I'll pull from Fink's letter, quote, companies that fulfill their purpose and responsibilities to stakeholders reap rewards over the long term. End quote. I hope each of those three, if they didn't feel obvious at the beginning of this week's podcast, I hope they feel like statements of the obvious now here at the end of this week's podcast. So, thank you, Mr. Fink, for being a great exemplar to corporate leaders. And thank you, dear Rule Breakers, for listening to us, staying with us, be invested with us in these kinds of companies as we have done for decades. You know, earlier I said maybe the best investment lesson I've ever had was to start a business to try to do some good in this world. And it did remind me of one of my favorite quotes. I said I would close with it. One of the things that John Mackey does in his book, Conscious Capitalism, is he talks about the hero's journey of the entrepreneur. Now, for someone like Mackey, and indeed for somebody like me, a lot of our heroes are the entrepreneurs who went to create the great businesses of our time. I mean, how much value has somebody like Steve Jobs added not just to my life, but to our world? He's no longer with us, but there are a lot of living, breathing, great entrepreneurs like John Mackey of Whole Foods fame, uh, at least for me, he's one, who've gone through kind of a hero's journey. And I love stories and quotes about heroes, and I like people who try to do good in this world. And so, as I said that, I thought, that reminds me of Lord of the Rings, End of the Two Towers, great exchange between Frodo and Sam. So, if you're a Tolkien fan, I know you're already going to have heard this. It's a beautiful scene in the wonderful Academy Award-winning series of movies that came out about a decade, almost two ago now. So, you may remember near the end of The Two Towers, I'm not going to summarize the story, not nearly, and if you don't know these characters, I'm sorry, but I think you'll love the quote. While passing through the besieged Gondorian city of Osgiliath, Sam reveals that Boromir's death was because he was driven mad by and tried to take the ring. And attacking Nazgul nearly captures Frodo, who momentarily attacks Sam, his best friend, before coming to his senses, forcing Sam to remind him that they're fighting for the good still left in Middle-earth. This is a quote that means a lot to me. It's the kind of thing that in hard times you can pick up and read and take another step forward. So, Rick Engdahl, give me some music and let's get started. So, Frodo says, 
I can't do this, Sam. And Sam says, I know. It's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come, and when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something. Even if you were too small to understand why, but I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going. Because they were holding on to something. And Frodo says, What are we holding on to, Sam? And Sam replies, That there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo. And it's worth fighting for. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.